today, uh, we're concluding a series, and in this series we call it Simplify, we've been talking about removing some words from our vocabulary, from the TC vocabulary, from the vocabulary of the church of Jesus Christ, and uh, words like tired and exhausted and overwhelmed and overscheduled, and, and we've basically been looking at the fact that the root cause of some of these things, if not all of these things, is that life is far too complicated, and, and the culture that you and I live in today has us on this fast track that makes life uh, both complicated and complex, and, and both busy and fast-paced, and what we really need to do is to slow down, to take a break, and to simplify and we've said simplifying is focusing in on what it is that really, really matters. We've been covering a lot of ground, and we've been going from subject to subject to subject. And in fact, if you missed any of them, I want to encourage you to go back uh, and get the podcast and listen to them, or go back and watch online, or stop and buy the series in uh, one of our bookstores and listen to it over and over. And if you want to go deeper in the subject matter and, and to cover more topics, I encourage you to pick up the book by the same title, uh, simplified by Pastor Bill Hybels. And because I have a feeling that uh, March and April are going to roll around and we're going to get busy again and we're going to get complicated again and life is just pressing in. And this is a subject matter that we got to stay on top of in our walks with Christ today. And, and uh, even when we've forgotten those ideas, we got to come back to them over and over. And throughout the series, we've been saying this principle, uh, this one word answer to all this exhaustion is to simplify. And when we talk about uh, simplifying, what we said again is that means to focus in on what really matters in our lives. What, what is it that really matters? And so today, uh, in this last week of the series, I want to talk about another very important idea and, and a very important part of your life, your relationships. And, and what exactly does that mean to simplify your relationships? Because it's easy for us to think about simplifying our schedule or, or our finances. I did not say it's easy to simplify our schedule or our finances. In fact, yesterday we had six games in the Hamaya household uh, among my four children, six ball games yesterday. I coached four of them, and the good news is we're six and oh yesterday. <laughs> Fantastic. Got a couple this afternoon. Okay, but, but it's not easy to simplify our schedule, but it's easy to talk about it. And it's easy to think about simplifying our schedule. And it's easy to think about and talk about simplifying our finances. But what does it mean to simplify your relationships? Does that mean that I need to cut some people out of my life? Maybe. Right? Some of you have relationships that, that uh, just drain you and wear you out. Right? All of us have that friend that is our most exhausting friend right? And if you can't think of who that friend is, you're probably that friend to many people, <laughs> right? And, and, and it's not because they require a lot of care. It's because they require a lot of attention, right? And they suck your time and your emotions and they drag you down. And, and some of you have relationships that leave you stretched way too thin, right? They're constantly on the go and they're running, 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 and they want you to run as fast as they run and to keep up with them and to stay uh, with them. And, and some of you, you, you have relationships that when I ask you about it, you just say, well, it's complicated. Right. And, and so when, you know, you're young singles and you're dating and, and you're in that relationship, I say, how's your dating relationship? And they say, well, pastor, it's complicated. I always laugh on the inside. I never laugh 
on the outside because that is not the word you want to use about a dating relationship, right? It's just complicated. And so maybe what you need in 2015 is some definition on some of your complicated relationships. And maybe that's with a boyfriend and maybe that's with a girlfriend. and Maybe it's with someone who would be really disappointed to hear you say, I don't have a girlfriend, right? But, but you need definition in that relationship. And some of you have relationships that distract you from what really matters in life. And you're going this direction and they're going that direction and you are on separate paths. And that's not the problem. The problem is, is that their behaviors and their actions are a distraction to you. And they're constantly pulling you uh, from who you really want to be and who you really want to be in Christ and who you're becoming or maybe what you really should do in in your life. And when I say that, I want to be very, very specific and clear to you today. We've done lots of messages on parenting and, and uh, family relationships and marriage relationships, and we're going to do one in a few weeks, uh, a few months, actually, on, on some of those subjects. But we're not talking today about family relationships or marriage relationships or parental relationships. I want to talk to you today about friendship, true friendship. Do you remember when you were a child, your parents got so freaked out about who you hung out with? Anybody remember that? Like I remember that. Just put your hand up if you remember that, okay? My my parents flipped out over that. All my friends got to hang out at the skating rink, and my parents were like, nope, that's where the hoods go. You're not going, right? And and, and, uh, which really dates me, that word right there. Like like I came right out of the outsiders, you know? And, and, And but but I remember one friend in particular, okay? His name is Heath. Uh, I don't even remember his last name. That just tells you. If you're a teenager here today, just, just trust your parents. Right? I don't even remember his last name. But what everybody in multiple neighborhoods did know about Heath is that Heath was the eighth grade boy that took his neighbor's car for a joyride every night. And, uh, and when he came to park the car on the last joyride that he took, another car had been parked in that spot. And the police caught him, and the police were involved in this scenario. And so everybody in town knew about this kid in eighth grade who was joyriding all over town in his neighbor's vehicle. My parents had never met this child, but a few weeks after all that broke it loose, I met him and started hanging out with him and started becoming buddies with him. But my parents had heard the story about Heath. So when I introduced Heath to my parents, I gave him another name <laughs> because I didn't want him to ask it. And, uh, and so I know my mom and dad are watching today, and so I'll just say to you, thank you, right? But, but Heath uh, w- was in our lives for weeks, maybe months, and he spent the night at our house many, many times. Well, he was in the car with my parents many, many times, and that summer going into ninth grade. And then one night he was spending the night at my house, and my brother slipped and called him Heath. I will never forget the next few moments because my dad went, you know, and just looked up, And he got up and walked out, and my mother walked with him. It's like they had some sign language, like, let's go, right? (laughs) That means we're going. And they they walked out, and my dad said as he walked out of the room, son, I'd like to see you in my room. I'm 43 years old. It still makes my stomach hurt. (laughs) And and we walked down that hall, and my parents were already in the room, and I turned the corner into their bedroom, and my dad said, don't say a word. He said, one question, is that Heath? I said, should I speak? You know, he said, one word. I said, yes. He said, the one who stole the car? I said, yes. He said, go tell him to pack up his bags. Just the tension. You can feel it in the room right now. 
the tension in the room. I started crying. I, I, I got extremely embarrassed, felt shame in that moment, you know, and I, I'm, I'm going to be history with the popular crowd now because he's going to tell the story that my dad kicked him out of the house, et cetera. And, and he said, and so I started crying and started speaking. He said, I'm not discussing it. Go tell him to pack his bag. And so I walked out of the room and I went and told him, pack up your bags. And he's like, your parents like me. And I said, pack up your bag. And, and, and so he packed up the bags. We got in the car and drove to his neighborhood. My dad stopped right in front of his house. He said, Heath, we'll never see you again. That's what he said. We will never see you again. Which, by the way, let me just tell you, when you parent, you have to be tenacious. And he said, we will never see you again. And, I, and by the way, we had bought tickets to go to a concert together. And we had seats together, and he had both of the tickets. I think it was Ozzy Osbourne, which you see the duplicity in this whole thing, right? That my, my dad is letting me go see Ozzy Osbourne, but he won't let me hang around Heath, you know? And so I said, Dad, can we at least go to the concert together? He said, absolutely not. Go get your ticket. And so I went and got my ticket, came out, got in the car, never saw the boy again. And I think through this whole story now, and now I'm a parent, and now I have children, and now I freak out, right, about who my kids hang out with and, and where they go. And by the way, let me just say to you, the greatest compliment I could ever give you is to allow one of my children to spend the night at your house. It just doesn't happen, really, for my kids, right? There, there, there's a very few homes because I don't know people well enough. I don't understand what's going on there. And listen, as a parent, you're sending your kid off to people's homes to let them spend the night. That's not smart. 90% of the counseling that our counselors do, it, it tracks it back to, hey, I spent the night at a friend's house and X, Y, Z, and, and A, B, C happened, and it just went on. And, and so now you've got kids and you're freaked out, right, about who their friends are and who they're spending time with because now you know and I know what our parents knew then. Our friends will always impact the direction and the quality of our lives. Our friends always impact the direction and the quality of our lives. And that goes doubly bad for bad influences. Listen to what Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians when he says bad company corrupts good character. I memorized that one as bad company corrupts good morals. And here's the point. Friendships can be very, very, very dangerous. Why? Because you, when you're with your friends, you let your guard down. And because you let your guard down, your friends have the most impact and influence on who you are becoming. Think about that, right? Go back to your teenage years. The first time you cut class, you didn't do that by yourself, right? You were with someone. The first time you smoked a cigarette, right? You were with someone. The first time you got drunk, you were with someone. The first time you shoplifted or, or whatever law it is that you broke or whatever rule it is that you broke, the first time you did that, you were with someone else. Those things don't happen in isolation, right? You were with someone else. Someone influenced you. And at that moment in your life, you would have said they were my friend right? So when you're with friends, you're the most open and vulnerable to influence you will ever be in your life. That's why it's so important to choose wisely who you spend the majority of your time with. Solomon uh, taught his son this all through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs called wisdom literature because it's packed full of wisdom. And that's why it's so important to choose wisely who you hang out with. Let's read uh, from Proverbs uh, this morning in chapter 13 and, and verse 20. And listen to Solomon. And if you got your notes, if this verse is in the notes, if not in your Bible, I want you to write on this verse of Scripture. Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. You can write next to that verse, promise. That's a promise from the wisest man, second to Jesus, that ever walked the face of the earth. If you walk with the wise, you will become wise. 
wise. Now look at the next half. Whoever walks with fools will suffer harm. You can write warning under that. Because in that verse, you got a promise and you got a warning. And, and here's the good news. Wisdom is contagious. That's great news. Let me give you a definition of wisdom today. The wise person is the one who knows that decisions I make today will affect the rest of my life. That they will affect tomorrow and my decisions today will affect the next day and the next day and the next day and, and they will continue to affect my life. That is found all throughout Solomon's Proverbs. You may want to jot these down quickly. Let me just give you a couple of them. Chapter two, verse 11 says that the wisdom, wisdom looks out for and watches over you. Wisdom will look out for you and it will watch over you. In chapter 13, verse 16, wise people think before they act. Uh, chapter 15, verse 24, the path of the wise, it leads upward. Chapter 13, verse 14, wisdom is a life-giving fountain. It is a fountain that pours life into us. And by the way, all of these are by the nature of proximity by the nature of proximity. And here's the great thing about this. When you're around wise people, it rubs off. That's good news for some of us who are not naturally inclined in that way, right? That, that when we just get around wise people, when we walk with them and we do life with them and we get to know them, we actually get wiser by having wise friends. Isn't that awesome? That's great news that we can just get with wise people, hang out with wise people. Now Solomon, his warning side of this verse of scripture, whoever walks with the fools will suffer harm. By the way, this is not say, if you hang out with fools, you will be a fool. That's not what Solomon said. And that is not what he's saying. And he's not saying, hey, just the opposite of this. This is, you know, this and this is that, just the opposite of one another. No, no, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that the decisions of fools that you associate with will eventually cause you to suffer damage in your life. Eventually. That's what Solomon is saying. So what's a fool, right? Well, they're not wise. The fool doesn't think that his decisions today will affect his rest of his life. And, and somehow he thinks he's immune to all of that. I think most fools that I've met know the difference between right and wrong. They just ignore it. Somehow they're immune to that. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 23, doing wrong is fun for a fool. Chapter 12, verse 15, for a fool thinks his own way is right. Chapter 13, verse 16, fools brag about making terrible decisions. Chapter 13, verse 19, fools refuse to turn from evil. Now, here's how this whole thing works. And you need to understand this, especially if you've got, you know, elementary and teenage kids in your home right now, because you've heard this and maybe you've even said this, and maybe you're the adult who says this to other Christian adult friends. Well, I do hang out with them, but I don't do what they do. Now, listen, that is not what Solomon is saying. He's not saying if you hang out with a fool, you will become a fool. That's not what he said. He said, if you hang out with a fool, you will suffer harm. In other words, watch, listen, the fools you hang out with, they are like a ticking time bomb that is going to go off. And when they go off in an explosion of bad decisions, the shrapnel of their poor choices, it will come in you and it will strike you and it will scar you. You and I both know people who, who have, their lives have been completely altered, negatively affected because of people they simply were in proximity of. Proximity of bad choices. 
You know people, and so do I, who no longer have jobs because of who they associate with. We, we all know people who have broken friendships and broken homes because of people they associated with. I, I know a person who can't walk because of whose car they got in and they shouldn't have. That's why it is so incredibly important to have good friendships and great relationships. But that is so hard, isn't it? In our culture, that's so difficult. So what I want to do is I just want to say, hey, when this all gets muddy and complicated, what do I go back to? I want to give you three very simple statements to simplify your relationships, okay? And here's the first one. Be a friend of God. Not rocket science, but this is primary. You want to simplify relationships, number one, you be a friend of God. This is this vertical aspect of relationships, this up and down relationship, God to us relationship. And this vertical relationship has to be right and has to be settled because all other relationships in your life will be affected by that one, all of them. James talks about this in chapter 2 and verse 23 when he talks about our father in the faith, Abraham. Listen to what uh, he says about Abraham. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. Isn't that awesome? And so that when we believe like Abraham, we are friends of God too. But listen, listen, we weren't always friends of God. This is theology you need to understand and let sink into your heart. We were actually at one point enemies of God. Enemies of God. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians in chapter one of Colossians, verse 21. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and your evil actions. Yet now he, that is God, reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before God now without one single fault is what Paul tells us there. You see, being a friend of God isn't just about him knowing your name. He knows everybody's name, right? It's not just about him knowing your number. He's got everybody's number. And it's not just you and God liking the same things. It is so much bigger than that. And it is so much deeper than that. This reflects a whole scale life change that you go from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God, which means so much that you have been reconciled with, with the one that you were irreconcilable with. In other words, you owed a debt that you could not pay. And he paid that debt by giving his life for you, that you were evil according to scripture in your, de in your deeds and in your thoughts. You were full of sin. But now you are completely different. And not just completely different, so that you understand it. He says, so that you are holy and blameless and without a single fault. And you can now stand in the presence of God. You have a place before the throne of God Almighty. Listen to what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 11. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God. Because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us, let's say it together on all campus, because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. So how do we become a friend of God? Well, the first step is salvation, right? It's believe in him. Believe in him. 
Believe that Jesus is God's only son. We sang about this a moment ago at the Battle Creek campus. Believe that he came to earth for you, that he gave up his life for you, that he died for you and he bled for you and then he rose again and he sits next to God interceding on your behalf now. And when you believe that, you turn to him and you trust him and that's when you are saved from your past and you are made brand new. And before I go on with the rest of the message, okay, we're not done, so nobody pack up anything. But I want to call a timeout right now in the message, and I want to give you a chance to do just that. Because the rest of what I'm talking about is, quite honestly, somewhat irrelevant to you until you have that friendship and relationship, that personal relationship with God Almighty. And so on all of our campuses, I want to ask if you would pray with me. Would you just bow your heads and would you just close your eyes? And I want to lead you in a prayer. Sometimes I say that to people and they're like, Pastor, I, I don't know how to pray. That's okay. I, I, I want to lead you in a prayer one phrase at a time. I can give you words. I can't give you faith. And, and if you have the faith today to confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved according to the Scripture. So I want to lead you in that prayer and as an encouragement to those around you, for those of you who are going to pray this for the very first time in your life, I'm going to ask them to pray it out loud as an encouragement to you. And I love the fact that you and I get to be a part of a church where men and women and boys and girls come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior every time we come together. In fact, the stats just came out again last week. And I'm not into comparing churches, but I'm just going to tell you, again, 12th year in a row, number one church in the state of Oklahoma in terms of people coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and people following the Lord in believer's baptism. And I rejoice in the presence of God in that way. And so believers, you pray as an encouragement to those around you who are praying this today for the very first time in their lives. Right where you're seated, just say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. And the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin. And I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. And I want to thank you for saving me. I receive you, Jesus. The Bible says that the angels in heaven, every time one comes into the family of God, they're throwing a party and they're rejoicing. I think we ought to clap and applaud and celebrate with the angels in heaven today. For those of you today who just came to know Christ and, and after salvation, in a friendship with God, listen, it's this simple. The next thing is to spend time with him. It's that simple. What, what do you do with a friend, right? Maybe you go shopping with them. Maybe you have coffee with them. Maybe you go to a ball game with them. Maybe you go hunting with them or helps them fix something, right? A project that they're working on. And, and by the way, guys, I would just say, you would never, ever ask another guy, hey, let's go get in a boat together and watch the sunrise. You would never ask that, right? That's just freaky weird. But you would go fishing which is the same thing under the cover of killing fish, 
right? But apart from the cover of killing fish, it's just freaky freaky, right? Hunting is the same thing, right? If you remove from hunting killing animals, it's really just spending the night together in a treehouse in matching outfits, right? <laughs> and that's weird, right? But you put killing animals in the mix and, hey, let's go. And which is what males do so that they can bond with one another. But what is the common denominator of friendships? It is time together. That's the common denominator. And God is no different. He's the same way. He wants to spend time with us. He wants to spend time with us. And all that requires is us carving out of our schedule. Remember we talked about a few weeks ago, all the blocks in our schedule. And we all have the same number of blocks. The only way I've found to increase the number of blocks is to get up earlier, right? That's the only one way. God, and we said this a few weeks ago, God didn't make time, day and night, moon and sun, and put 24 hours in it and then make people and go, oh, shoot. I should have given them 30 hours because that's what they need. And some of them are slower than the other, and, and they need more time. No, he gave us all 24 hours. And the priority of words in our schedule actually lived out is astronomical. And some of those blocks, let me just say something to you, need to be given to God. And I personally think it's a big deal for us to give him the first blocks of every single day. And sometimes I meet with pastors and I talk to them about this and the conversation comes back around to this concept and they say, I just don't have time to spend time with God. And my response to that is just the exact opposite of that. I'm too stinking busy not to spend time with God. I am handling the things of God every day. I am making big decisions every day. I gotta have God's influence and I gotta have his presence in my life and I gotta know what he would want me to do. And so carving that time out for God. And it, by the way, it's not out of obligation and it's not out of duty and it's not to satisfy his need. He doesn't have any needs, right? It is because you are friends with God and that's what friends do. And so once the vertical relationship is right, now you can begin to work on the horizontal relationships, which takes me to my second point. Be a contagious friend. Contagious. In other words, look for ways to bring those who are all around you into a vertical relationship with God. And, and that means that you need people in your life who don't know God yet. James warns against being friends with the world. But I want you to understand what James is not saying is, he's not saying don't have any unsaved friends. That's not what he's talking about. He is talking about being friendly with the demonic desires of the world. He is talking about loving the things of the world instead of loving God. Jesus hung out with people all the time who were associated as sinners. In fact, the Bible says he was a friend of sinners and a friend of tax collectors, which we like, why does he list that? Because tax collectors were worse than sinners. In that culture, that's fact. He was friends with Matthew, and he was friends with Zacchaeus, who were both tax collectors. He, he was friends with Simon the Zealot, or Simon the Troublemaker. In fact, every adjective to use to describe the people that Jesus ran with was a negative descriptor. Every single time. But the more time he spent with them and the more time they spent with Jesus, the more influence they had on those that were around them. And the less they were influenced and the more they were influencers. 
right? Do you see what I'm saying? Zacchaeus met Jesus and Jesus came and said, I want to have dinner with you in your home. And his life was changed. The next thing you know, Zacchaeus invites all of his unsaved friends over to meet Jesus. Zacchaeus saw the power of being friends with God, but he also saw the power of influencing other people through his relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and some people have bought the lie that the more like Jesus we are, the more we avoid those people. Not true. That's, that's a lie. We don't drop those people. We influence those people. And we have to realize that we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the power of the Holy Spirit is active in the lives of the friends of God. And that power can be used to influence other people and to bring them to Christ. And it all starts with that vertical relationship that we get the friends with God part right. And the more we become like Jesus, the more we start influencing other people. Because we now have the power of God in our lives. We now have the heart of God in our lives. And we are the influencers, not the influenced. Do you understand what I'm saying? Luke chapter 16 is a passage of Scripture. That's, it's a great passage of Scripture talking about money and how we are to use money and how we're to leverage our finances in this world, this world today, uh, for the kingdom of God. And, and I want you to take a look at this verse because there's something very interesting in, in this verse in light of what we're talking about. Luke chapter 16. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. That's what the Bible says. Use your worldly influences to benefit us and make friends. And, and then what happens? Then you, when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you, not your possessions, the people that you influenced and became friends with, they will welcome you into an eternal home. In other words, use your resources to make friends. Use your influence, your personality, every resource you have that makes you friends. And when you have those friends now, invest in your friends and invite your friends to Jesus or to a place where they can come to know Jesus. That's what it means when it says they will welcome you into an eternal home. In other words, when you and I get to heaven, there will be men and women and boys and girls who will be there because we invested in their lives. Because we invested in kingdom ministry. Did you know, and I've given you this stat before, that I've read it again and again in multiple surveys. That 65% of all unchurched people, over 65%, have said they would go to church if a friend invited them. Tulsa, the metropolitan area of Tulsa, still 80% unchurched. Chicago, 97% unchurched. Cairo, 99.9% unevangelized. And those people that we're rubbing shoulders with, listen, they said they would come. Seven out of 10 of them said they would come if a friend just invited them. Those are the people you work with, you live next to, that, that they're your friends. And they would come if they're waiting on you to invite them. And by the way, every time I preach just a pure cross message, every time people walk up to me and say, hey, pastor, that was an incredible message. I wish I had known you were going to preach that today. I said, why? I said, because I would have brought my friends. I would have brought those people that need to hear purely the gospel. And so consequently, here's what I'm doing. I'm telling you right now, Sunday, March 29th is going to be cross pure. 
And it's going to be how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the day of our extravaganza. That's the day that we always uh, invite preschoolers, elementary kids, and, and students to a big party. And we just decided, you know what? We're going to invite parents and everybody else to come too. We're going to just all play, all skate. We're all bringing people with us on March 29th. Okay, and, and that day I am going to share the gospel clear, simply, and only, and, and then give people a chance to respond to give their lives to Jesus Christ. But those people you work with, those people who your kids are on their team, they're waiting for you to invite them to simply ask them. And by the way, you don't need to be ashamed of being a friend of God. When you're truly a friend of God, it, it impacts everything and it changes everything. And, and so what resources do you have that you can use to win people to Christ? And by the way, I'm not just talking about money or a boat. I'm talking about what about you makes you an influence to people? What is it about you that you can use to attract people to God? And you carry Jesus into every relationship you enter. Jesus went to places like Caesarea Philippi, which makes Las Vegas look pure. And in that scenario, asked the question, who do people say that I am? He took himself and he talked about himself in pagan places. We can carry the relationship we have with Jesus Christ into places where they need it the most. And I'm talking about being someone who others want to be around, someone who attracts people instead of repelling people. And when you're attractive, listen, people will be attracted to God. It's like being salty. That's a New Testament illustration. Being salty. Jesus taught us about being salty in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. In verse 13, he says to his people, you are the salt of the earth. And what does salt do? It makes people thirsty. Question, are you making people thirsty for God? Are you so salty that you're making those around you thirsty for God? How do you get salty? goes back to number one. You be a friend of God. You know God. You spend time with God. You, you, you are energized by God. God changes your life. You get to know him. You will be salty. Your vertical relationship with God affects your horizontal relationship with others. You spend time with God, you get to know him, and you will be salty. Strong relationships with God, listen, lead to having influence and making friends. It's not the other way around. But when you have an anemic relationship with God, it's reversed. Now, let me just say it. There are churches and there are denominations all over our world. who have put a fence around themselves in a monastery-type fashion to say that we don't want to have any touch or any influence with the world ever. Now, I'm all about retreat. I'm all about fast. I'm all about spending time with God and, and, and getting away to be alone with God. But, but when that turns into your whole lifestyle, to say we're going to wall off our church. I thought I was about to knock that off. We're going to wall off our whole church and say we're going to come in and nobody else can come in because we don't want to be influenced by the world at all. That is not like Jesus. You can't find that in Scripture. That, that, that's not even a principle that Jesus addressed because it is so different and so foreign to him. But the reason those people do that, I'm just going to tell you, is because they are not friends with God. Because when you get the friendship with God right first, listen to me, God leads us to go love and impact the world. But when you're not a friend with God and you're playing games with God and you really haven't spent time with God and you don't know the things of God and the heart of God, then you walk into the world and you get your tail kicked. 
you got to get the engine in the front of the train. When the engine is somewhere else on the back of the train or somewhere else in the deal and some boxcar is trying to lead the train, listen, the whole thing implodes. you got to start with a friendship with God. And when you are right in your friendship with God and you are growing in your relationship with God, you can go anywhere in the world and have influence and lead people to Jesus Christ. And that one relationship with God, it affects so much of our lives. And it, quite honestly, it doesn't just affect our life. It affects the lives of all those around us. Third point, finally. Have a few close, godly friends. This is my prayer for every child of God. The definition of true friendship, listen, it's the same definition I've given you many times for intimacy. To be known fully and to know fully without the fear of rejection. To be known fully and to know fully without the fear of rejection. True friendship, watch what it does. It trades fear for transparency. You you can take the mask off around those people without the fear of rejection. True friendship trades selfishness for service. It, It is always looking for a way to serve. Not just take, take, take from you, but to serve you. True friendship, listen, it trades competition for celebration. Your true friends are the first ones to rejoice when they hear good news about you. So, so let me just give you three levels of friendship so that you understand what I'm talking about here. This is not in the notes, I don't think. But, but I want you just to add this in and jot this down, okay? Subpoints under this few close godly friends. Level one relationships are what we call acquaintances. Acquaintances. These are your neighbors, your coworkers, your kids play on the same ball teams with them. You recognize them, and if you had to, you could pick them out of a lineup. Okay, that's how you know they're just an acquaintance. If you had to, you could pick them out. If they went missing, here's the test of the level of friendship. By the way, you want to say, how do I know? I made up one, okay? If an acquaintance went missing, went missing, you would recognize their picture on the news. You'd know who they are, right? And it's from that pool, level one, acquaintances, that you find level two, friends. These are the people you have a deeper connection with. You know a little bit more about them. You spend a little bit more time with them. You may know them through Facebook and some other things, but you may not even have their cell phone number. You you may run in the same circles. You invite them to church with you. You might even sit in a community group with them, but you can't remember a single time where you really opened up to them or them to you and you really got serious. And if a friend went missing, by the way, you'd join the search party. To look for them. That's how you know they're not just an acquaintance. That's how you know they are a friend and not just an acquaintance. Third level is what I'm talking about right now. Close friends. Close friends. You do life with close friends. You spend time with close friends. If they call you, you drop what you're doing to take the call. And to talk to them. If a close friend went missing, by the way, you'd organize the search party. You'd be on Nancy Grace, right? You know, the next morning, given the interview. That would be you, right? You'd be searching your phone and your computer for photographs, recent ones, of your friend. You have a close connection with them. And maybe sometimes it's stronger than even some family relationships. They're a part of a tight circle of friends with you, three or four, that you meet together. You do coffee together. You get together and you ask them to pray for something and you know they're going to pray. You ask them for advice and you actually take their advice. In the New Testament, there's epistles and the writers of some of those epistles, uh, Paul and Peter and John, church leaders, first church leaders, early church leaders, and they gave all this instruction to the local church. 37 times in those letters, they used the word friend. 
And this is what they're talking about. They're talking about close friends. They did life together. They were in the trenches together. They were holding one another accountable. Uh, Last week I was studying for last week's message and I came across this Gallup poll about work. Five things that everybody needs at work or wants at work. One of the most amazing ones to me that people want at work. Top five is a best friend at work. It's so simple, right? I mean, it's it's like third grade that they want a close friend at work, someone they can know, someone that can pick them up when they're down, someone that, that knows them and will help you stay on track in life. Let, listen to uh, Ecclesiastes in chapter uh, 4, verse 9. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. What, what does that mean to succeed or help each other out? Listen, it's a best friend. A best friend will help you stay centered on God's will for your life because they are an asset to you becoming who God intends for you to become. And they keep you on track by helping you focus on what you should be focused on. And they're not distracting in their behaviors or, or their attitudes that lead you astray. That, that's the definition, by the way, of accountability right there. You want to know what accountability That's it. A best friend is someone who helps you stay focused on what really matters. Instead of distracting you from your life goals, they push you toward your life goals. Instead of pretending you're somebody you're not when you're with them, you can be yourself with those people. Look, look at the very next verse in this passage. If one person falls down, the other can reach out and help. How do you choose close friends? And how do you find these close friends? And I, listen, I, I've had these conversations with people for years, and, and it really is not a youth ministry conversation. This is an adult conversation. In fact, if you were to go to Google, I did it a couple of weeks ago. If you were to go to Google and search how to find close friends after college, you will literally find hundreds of thousands of pages on Google. Why? Because this is a phenomenon in our culture. Because after college, you, you, right, you know, in elementary school, you have things built in, like recess, right? And at recess, that's where you make friends, and, and it's going to happen. And, and, and groups are going to form, and, and lunch, and PE, and resource centers, and there are things built into life, right? You, you don't get out of college, move to another town, and say to a guy, hey, you want to go play, right? It's hard, and it's more difficult, and, and so I just really, I, I feel the pain in people's hearts when they say, pastor, I, I, I just don't have a friend. I need a godly friend in my life, and how do I, how do I go about that? Let me just give you the first step. Pray about it. That's really a big deal. Because quite honestly, there are lots of things in lives that I say to people and say, you know, they'll tell me some burden or something. I'll say, have you prayed about it? They're like, are you kidding? No, I didn't think to do that. I just want to make an appointment for you. I I, I didn't pray about it yet. But for this one, I ask, have you prayed about it? They're like, no. Never prayed about it. And I would just say to you, you need to pray about this. You need to talk to God. You say, God, my friendship with you is priority, and it's the first thing in my life, and I am your friend, and I thank you for my friendship with God Almighty. But God, you know and you wired me to need godly friends, and would you send me the godly friends that I need? Would you put them in my life? Would you show me who they are? Would you forge opportunities for that to happen? And by the way, that's what I'm doing for you. I've been praying for you for weeks now. 
that God would give you close, godly, godly, godly friends. And I hear people say every week, it's such a friendly church. Listen, let me tell you, that's not the target on the wall. That's a great byproduct. But the target on the wall, aside from the manifest presence of God that we talked about earlier, is not for this to be a friendly place, but for you to have a friend, godly friend that will help you through life. And I pray for you that you would have a relationship. I pray this all the time for the church, that God would give you relationships, a best friend like David had with Jonathan. And even though King Saul was trying to kill David, David found true friendship in Jonathan, someone he could confide in and someone he could trust in. And life is tough. Listen, it's tough, church. Shouldn't we live with people who care about us and our time? It is so valuable. Shouldn't we spend it with people we like? and want to do life with, and people who want to help us and keep us on track, people who help us focus on what it is that really does matter in life. And God will put those people in our past, best friends who can shape us and challenge us. And, and God sends people into our lives who we can see and hear and touch with skin on. We're full of God's spirit and full of the love of God. And when we encounter those people, when you encounter those people, it's like encountering God himself. If you're looking for friends today, let me just encourage you and say, I believe with all my heart. And if I weren't the circus clown on the stage leading the church, I would still believe this with all my heart. Best place for you to find friends is in the local church. And the best place to find friends in a local church is in a community group. Best place. And we're all about community group around here. And I've said this many, many times from day one. We will not be a church with community groups. We are a church of community groups. And I want you to watch this video about some of our folks who, who found a great community group and found great friends because of that uh, community group. Watch this video. I'm Jack Steinmetz, this is my beautiful wife, Marianne, and we're at Hillcrest Hospital. Several months ago, I woke up one night and I was short of breath, and I was on a severance package from Hillcrest for seven months, and it happened on the back end of that. A lot of other things happened at that time. Lost a brother-in-law, my mom, sister, deathly sick, myself being diagnosed with aortic stenosis. In November, the doctor, my cardiologist, spoke to me and I'd run the test again, which I thought would be years, years down the road. He said, Jack, you need surgery now. They replaced my aortic valve and, and my aortic arch. Major, major surgery. And I'm up the next day walking already. I've walked three times today. It's just amazing what Jesus has done for me. And I appreciate everybody's prayer. And it was Psalms 103, one through five that we were praying for us. And we have a community group that supported us many, many times through this whole thing, the different procedures, being there with us mm -hmm. yes. and praying for us. God's hand's been all over this thing in such a big way that I'm just, I'm humbled, Lord, by your presence and goodness. Community groups, they work. They really do. God has a community group for everybody. Amen. And we prayed and we said, Lord, where, where do we need to go because there's so many. Jim and Lori Eller, and Jim's here being camera shy, their name just kind of popped off the page. We went and we've had times of laughter a lot. We've had tears. 
We've had people sharing and opening their hearts up and the love for one another has just grown really? in the years. Our fellowship is, is not in a row. You can be friendly in a row at church and we should be, but when we get in that circle, they come forth with things that, oh, you know, we haven't experienced, but we learn from them. It has just been the kind of thing I believe the world is crying out for. I call this reality church. We know that we're in this thing together. We really are. We pray for one another. And if you don't feel that, if you don't have that, then get hooked up and ask him to show you where you need to be. I just can't tell people enough that there's a place for people everywhere. It's a body. You ask him to show you. The body of Christ supplying Jesus one to another. We're so grateful and we love all the people in our community group. Mm -hmm. And they're just a big part of our lives.